you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. Hey guys, so before we start the show today, I want to take just a minute to tell you all about the Primo's Hunting YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out yet, you need to. It has all kinds of good stuff on it. It has past seasons of Primo's Truth About Hunting. It has how-to videos on calls and different products. It has hunting tips and tactics on just about any kind of hunting. Elk, whitetail, waterfowl, turkeys, predator, you name it, and it's on there. There's food plot instructionals. And then one of the most exciting things we're doing on there now is called Primo's Originals. For years, we've had people ask us to upload videos of the old days from back in the VHS days. We're doing that now. So just go to YouTube, go to the search bar, and type in Primo's Hunting. should be the first channel to pop up. So go on there. Subscribe and start streaming the language right to your smartphone, your laptop, or whatever you have. So for now, hope you enjoy the show. First off, we apologize for missing the podcast last week. We've been really busy between, so we did elk season, there was Colorado, New Mexico, and then we were home for like four days. Yeah, I think three or four days. Yeah, in which we tried to go deer hunting at Cottonmouth. That did not really pan out the way we wanted it to we got a lot of work done though we did we did um and now we're in west texas in the davis mountains uh attempting to elk hunt well we're elk hunting we just haven't gotten any elk. we're hunting (laughs) not killing how many how many miles did we walk yesterday i don't know too many for me eight nine at least probably between i don't know um so the but the main point of the podcast today we got like a multiple things we could talk about but one of the things when we put up a poll back during the summer asking about stuff that y'all want us to talk on uh, one of the big big things we got was food plot related and not only that ever since the the current shows that started airing now show the the cotton mouth and different food plots we got so we've gotten. Lots of questions, both between, you know, what are we planting, what's in those blends, uh, the whole takeout seed line, how are we planting it, this, that, and the other. Uh, And Jordan is, you kind of spearheaded the whole planting last year and this year. Well, you got more experience with it than I do. Trial and error. (laughs) I've done a lot Uh, of things wrong to get a little bit right. Yeah. So the the first to go straight to like the the food plots that we've um, at Cottonmouth, uh, what everyone's seeing is mainly our uh, the takeout fall mix and then over covered with the Brassica blend. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We I mean we experimented with a few different blends last year that should be on the market for next year. I hope. We're still testing that. We're just planning them again this year to try to make sure it's finalized, you know, yep. they're ready to go. And, but uh, for the most part last year, yeah, it was the fall mix, which has wheat, oats, clover, brassicas in it, and uh, winter peas. Right. And then we overseeded it with a brassicas, which is a brassica blend. There's several different types in the brassica family that we have in there, and most of it's turnips and rape, though. Okay, so answer this question because this was a uh, this was something because again like the the food plot background I came from was like uh, you know like me and my dad and my uncle mm-hmm. would go and we'd have food plot tilled up and it would be me with a hand seeder full of you know wheat and 
then we drag it with a four wheeler with a cross tie behind it. That's you, about as you were ahead of me then <laughs> when I started out. Cause we started out planting ryegrass, having no idea. We did. That? We did ryegrass too, but we graduated to weed. Yeah, Cause yeah. ryegrass grow anywhere. You'll have yeah. a pretty stand of green, lush grass. Yeah. It'll be knee tall, and you're like, man, my food plot looks good. But little do you know that it's not helping your deer herd. Yeah, out that nothing's much. eating it. Um, but so, um. As far as planting goes, one of the questions that we've gotten a bunch is what, what's the what's the purpose, I guess, as far as the deer, what you're trying to accomplish with planting the fall mix and then putting the brassicas on top of it? Tonnage. You want the most food per acre as you can put out there for them yeah. that you can grow. And one thing, I mean, going forward to this year, what we realized last year is we didn't have enough food plots. Even though yeah. we have a pile of them, we didn't have enough tonnage because come uh what end of january me and you both went around looking and we're like man everything was ate down it was to the ground so yeah. we're like we got to add to this next year and yeah. that's one thing you can do when you have a really good food plot system on your place or and you look at it at the end of the year and it's ate down to the dirt you don't have enough food right so if the main deal with planting your brassica blends is that's the most tonnage per acre of food you can yeah. plant well, what about it? You've said something to to the degree of is planting that specific with the fall blend and then with the brassicas. Is there something that would be desirable to those deer right. from the early season to well, January when we're hunting? A lot of cases, the deer don't touch a brassica until it turns cold. Yeah. You know, they'll nibble on them, but they, that's not their main food source till those sugars come up in those plants. and they're When edible. it turns cold, yeah. yeah. So, um, and that, you know, to like the the untrained eye like mine because uh, we're planting radishes some mm-hmm. too and they will eat those in the early for season for whatever reason they prefer a radish over a turnip or a rape earlier i don't know if it's different sugar contents i'm not a scientist on the plants i just right. know you what just works watch what they've eaten yeah <laughs> yeah but we mix that in that's going to be in a mix next year and daikon radishes right. are going to be in a fall mix we're going to offer hopefully i mean it's maybe two years from now we got to work it out right right so. yeah well that's the point of why we're doing what we're doing at Cottonmouth. like yeah. when we did it last year we didn't know how it was gonna i mean we thought it would do well mm-hmm. but it was a whole like trying it before we put it on the shelf yeah but, um you know we're basing this off a of southern climate too so this year tommy nails in iowa mm-hmm. is planting stuff for us and he's really getting good yeah. results out of it so far so yeah for those of y'all that don't know uh tommy has a um has a place in southeast iowa yeah. was it? whiskey what, ridge outfitter whiskey ridge outfitter i was trying to remember what county he was in but in it's same that midwest climate and he was been sending us pictures i think we put it on the primo story a couple of days ago yeah but he's had his food plots look awesome. Yep, and he he's one of them guys. You know, it takes it to the extra step, doing it right. Yeah, everything. So let's talk about that. Since you made that comment, that's what we always get. The the main two questions we get are either, what are you planting, and then what's in it, and then how are you planting it. Yeah. People are asking about, you know, no till. How do you you know what's we say soil prep? What does soil mm-hmm. prep mean? How you know time frame? All of that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of no-till just because yeah. I like getting the most seed-to-soil contact I can get. Right. So what we do, we'll break up or well, start out in July. This is in Mississippi, you know, Louisiana, that area. Start down in July, we'll spray, kill all your grass, bush hog it. Yeah. 
And then if it needs to be sprayed again, you spray it again. And when you're saying spraying, you're talking about like a Roundup. glyphosate product, yep. kind of like 2,4-D? Any, anything that's got glyphosate in it, kill your grasses. Yeah. That way you've got a bare, you know, seed bed there you can right. break up. It breaks up a lot easier. You can do it without spraying, but it saves a whole lot of time getting that grass out of there. Right. All right. Uh, after you spray, we'll go in there and disc it, you know, first part of August if you can weather this year we were so wet we yeah. got knocked back on everything but you'll go in there and disc it one time heavy deep disc is what i like to do yeah tear all that root system up out of that grass let it sit there a few weeks get a rain on it whatever let it soak back down yeah and uh come in there and disc it again a week or two before you plant and then when you get ready to plant hit it again with a do-all or drag, whatever, to knock all them clods out so you've got the best seed-soil contact you can get. Then I'll come in there, and we'll seed and fertilize. What we've been doing is 250 pounds an acre of triple 19. Yeah. And that's heavy for the soil region. We, that's heavy fertilized for the soil region we're in in the Mississippi River bottom, but we want to make it grow so the deer's got all the food they can get. Yeah. How... uh <laughs> How beneficial is it? Uh, some people talk about soil testing because there, I mean, there's several spots that you can take sample your soil. You'll save money in the long run if you do a soil test. So would that even be worth? Like, I know for for someone that has, you know, say they have, you know, an extensive amount of property to hunt, and they're mm-hmm. doing a bunch of food plots. That mm-hmm. would definitely be worth their while for them. Absolutely. Would that be worth? I mean, like to the guy, I'm thinking about, you know, my buddies that maybe have like an 80 with one food plot mm-hmm. on it. Would that be worth it for them to do, or just kind of? Yeah, because you may be putting something your soil doesn't need, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it's and it is relatively cheap. Yeah, it's like yeah. ten bucks to get a soil test done. Yeah. And it takes like two weeks. It's one thing we've ran into not being able to. We've got so many food plots. It would take all kinds of bags and time and stuff we don't have to be able to send that soil off so we've got you know the farm manager there jeffrey he's had soil tested over the years yeah for the commercial ag that he does yeah Yeah. so roughly know what we need right but yeah it's getting real serious if you're penny pinching and on a budget it could save you money in the long run by doing a soil test for sure Cause I, I, I mean, everyone's heard those stories. Those guys that they just go to the co-op and buy triple thirteen, and then if they ever do get their soil tested, they're like, it's, it's way off from what they actually yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I'm not. I need to learn more about what soil needs and stuff. But you know, your soil may may, may need a bunch of lime. It may not need lime. Yeah. It may need to add potash or whatever right. to it. Yeah. So I'm not an expert on that by any means, but doing a soil test cannot hurt by yeah i mean it's a cheap way to figure out what you need to do to grow plant yeah so talk to me about like as far as timing goes like last year the shows that are airing now all those food plots look awesome yeah that was just a perfect storm for yeah. us so i mean i think i don't know if we, we haven't talked about it on here before how the planting situation went last year yeah, I think we've touched on it, but not really in depth. Right. So we can get in depth with it. Yeah. So the story behind that is, is kind of funny, is uh, so Jordan is at the beach with his family. Yeah. And <laughs> I knew we were supposed to plant sometime the upcoming week, but this is like on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I get a phone call from Jordan. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, um, currently I'm not doing anything. It's Saturday. And he's like, well, you need to get your stuff. I'm leaving the beach early. We're going to Cottonmouth. I'm like, well, well why? And 
there was a big weather front coming through yep. that you happened to see because you were paying attention to your radar like I should have been. Thankfully, you were. It was one of them deals where we were going to get rain. Yeah. You know, it was 100%. Yeah. Uh, so we show up at Cottonmouth and plant the entire farm yep. in one day and then plant it until like o- ele- over 125, 140 acres of food plot. Yeah. And planted until like eleven or midnight that night. Yeah, on the ranger. <laughs> on the ranger. Yeah. With a sixty-pound cedar. Yeah. And then woke up the next morning. Had one one small food plot left the next morning. We managed to get that one in. And then right after that happened. Well, we had. I mean, that was just overseeding. Yeah. We had Arkansas field. We had overseeding. That yeah. was it. We busted butt that night. Yeah. And then li- literally, we soon as we got done, like the last lap we made overseeding that food plot we were raindrops starting to hit the windshield ended up raining an inch not too heavy not too light perfect drizzled all day and all night so all that seed got it was had a good soil bed soil bed to start with so it was all contacted to the dirt and that rain just glued it all together and it germinated overnight yeah it was just one of them deals where you couldn't ask for better time And it was between that and the time frame we got to do it too. We planted last year. It was like September September tenth. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we planted and then we left for elk season. Yeah. Like just like that. And that's what I mean. If you're gonna plant brassicas, you want to get them in three weeks than you normally would wheat or oats. Really. Just because you want that plant to mature out before you get a frost. Because once you get a frost, they go pretty much dormant. Yeah. You know, wheat and oats keeps growing through cold weather pretty good. Right. In the south, at least. Yeah. And, uh, but brassicas, you want them to get that 40 to 45 days of growth, at least 40 days before frost. Yeah. And that gives you that knee-high brassica that everybody likes to right, look at. Right, yeah. Well, then the deer like to eat, too, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, then th- this year, um, I mean, we still we still made it work this year. Yeah, it's just been, it's been a weird year because it's been so spotty and Weather-wise, we've got more rain this year in the month of September and October than I can ever remember. Yeah, it's been crazy. But I, I like I like bringing that up just because, you know, for someone that, you know, if they're questioned about it, you know, like, I mean, obviously those food pots are awesome, but we mm-hmm. did have the perfect conditions yep. comparing those to what we had this year. I'm curious to see what they'll look like this year. I Just being me and knowing what I've seen before, I don't think they're going to look as good, but they're still going to be good. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's important to know, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, I'm not going to tell you, I mean, I mean, if you have perfect conditions, that's how they're going to look. And then yeah. they're still going to produce this year. Yeah, but they're, they're going to produce the same amount of tonnage, but they're not going to have the huge brassica bulbs we had last yeah, year. Part of and but that's just because of the time frame, we couldn't get them in there in time. We started on, what was the week y'all went to Colorado this year? Like the, the 15th or so, somewhere. Around. Y'all were there the week before the 15th. Yeah. So me and Ben got 30 acres planted then. Yeah, because we were supposed to plant the week before, and yeah. I was supposed to be there to mm-hmm. plant with y'all, and we but couldn't because it was so wet. Rain. Yeah. yeah. But we got a few plots in that were sandier soil just because right. they broke up better. But the gumbo stuff, man, it, you run a distance there, it just clods it. up, and you're not yeah. going. a lot of your seeds going to get buried up under those big clots. Yeah. And they're not going to see light of day. Yeah, so you just kind of have to do – what you can do to make it work yeah we just timed out we finished last week you know which would be the first week of october which is three weeks later and i would like to have it in right but we had good soil moisture and i'm sure that stuff's already popped up yeah because we've had wet soil i yeah. mean a lot of that stuff we some of it was mudded in it was just so muddy the seed 
I didn't attempt to cover it up. Right. There so, wasn't any point. Yeah, yeah. it's just we're, I'm curious to see how it's going to work out this year. It should be good, but it's going to be different. Yeah. Um. What do you like? What would your advice be? I'm thinking because I always like to tailor this podcast to people that have diff that are in different. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone has the same situation. Yeah. So we're fortunate in that, like. Let's take, you know, I mean, last year or this year, for example, we mm -hmm. were, a, you know, we're able to, as soon as we found a window that we could go in there and plant, we could do it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, most people, they're probably, you know, got jobs and they're, they're only able to plant yeah. on Saturdays, Sundays, maybe Friday afternoons, who knows? Well, I mean, when I was uh, working at Mossy Oak, you know, I was in a deer camp up there. We had, I don't know, several thousand acres leased. Right. And, uh, Everybody had weak jobs, especially a couple of us that did the filming stuff. We right. were gone all the time on a crazy sick schedule. So we just picked out a weekend. Didn't matter what the weather or whatever it was, we were going to plant. Right. So, I mean, it works good that way, but it doesn't work good because you're basing it around a date rather than waiting on weather conditions. The weather. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've heard some folks where they, you know, if they ha they know they have enough open weekends, they mm -hmm. still, mm -hmm. you know, they can look into an extended forecast and they know, yeah. okay, if I plant this weekend, maybe that upcoming Wednesday, I don't know, you're supposed to get rain. Mm -hmm. So you still, I mean, it's not going to be the day after like we had. Yeah. But that's still fine if you cover the seed, you know, and all that. Yeah, if you, uh, if you, your fertilizer is the big deal. Right. You, know, you put your fertilizer in the ground. If it doesn't rain for a month, or sometimes even a month and a half in the south in October. Sometimes it doesn't rain till November. Yeah, we did that happened uh, my second ago. year here. That our the, the place we got behind the office that mm -hmm. Brad and I planted. Mm -hmm. It was it was dry that year, but yeah. and it was kind of one of those deals. It wasn't it just the way it happened. That was the only time frame we had to plant, mm -hmm. and we planted, and it was it came up. Yeah, if you don't bury that fertilize, it'll if it's sitting out in the sun, it will dissipate. Over yeah. if it doesn't get any moisture in it and soak into the soil. Right. So that's one thing to think about. If you don't see any rain coming, make sure you bury your fertilized first, yeah. then plant. Right. It's a little bit more work, but you'll get better results out of it. Right. Yeah. So that basically, you know, covers it. I know we have, uh, there's several, um, if y'all haven't checked out the Primo's YouTube channel, um, there's tons of good stuff going up there daily, but for specifically what we're talking about today right now, mm -hmm food plots there's how many food plot videos are there on there as far as i don't know soil prep yeah. seeding everything covers everything yeah. and then you can go uh to the primo's website and then look up the you know the the actual takeout line and see the seed and what's in it and what you know what every blend has and that sort of thing mm -hmm. but uh yeah I, I would suggest you know if that's something that you're interested in and want to learn more about definitely look up some of those youtube videos yep so next question mm-hmm what were your thoughts on the deer hunt last week? Oh, I wish we wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh um uh, we had this bright idea and um Will and Jimmy and Brad have still yet to let us hear the end of it because I mean they have more I mean it's obvious they have a lot more experience than we do at doing this. Mm -hmm. And we just thought, you know, just the way our elk season fell this year, we would ha we had a little gap like right at the first of October that we don't usually have, and so yeah, we're usually on a gun hunt on elk. You know, that first week of October, yeah. and we didn't have the gun hunt. Yeah, year. And we usually don't touch cottonmouth until around the middle of the month, mm -hmm. and we were like, man, we can get in there right at the opener. We never get to do that before, so we're uh, Jordan and I are all gung ho and excited about it, and we get down there, 
and I think the humidity level was like 120 percent. Yeah. There was no wind. What wind there was was variable. It would be west one minute, east the next, <laughs> and then I don't know. These were these were record book mosquitoes. They were. I mean, everybody I've talked to, as far as up and down the Mississippi River, and even anywhere in Mississippi right now, or anywhere in the South, I've saw comments on social and <laughs> and mosquitoes. Well, one morning I walked over uh, to uh, where Will and Brad stay, and I was, you know, just sitting there. It was in the morning. We was just, you know, shooting a breeze. Will said he wanted to go shoot his bow. And he shot a couple of arrows into it, and he said, "Will you go grab those arrows for me? I don't want the mosquitoes to attack me." And I thought he was being sarcastic. <laughs> and I walked into that, it, you know, it was kind of just bush hog grass, it just bush hog grass, and it still had the morning dew on it. And I, I had on shorts and a t-shirt, and I ran out of there. <laughs> I've never been. I, I was swarm all those mosquitoes, and then it was the same way when we was in the stand. The whole you should have seen Brad and I swatting. Mm-hmm. mosquitoes well like if a deer does come in here they're gonna see us because we're sitting here you know slapping our arms and wrist and necks trying to kill it was miserable not to mention it was in the 90s yeah so it was hot it was not a good decision to go hunting we got our food plots in which was my main goal so yeah the uh i thought we i had to hang one stand a du- you know a double set stand and i told brad i said i, I don't see if I mean, if you hang a stand in that kind of weather, more power to you. Because I hung one and I was gave out, mm. absolutely gave out. My nose was dripping with sweat like a faucet. Oh, it was bad. So, the whole reason I bring that up, because this is a question we get often too, and we might as well talk about early season stuff. Is I I know guys that, again, thinking about the weekend warrior types. You know, they only have so many days to hunt, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know. I know it's 97 degrees. I know it's humid as the day is long. I know the spot that I'm hunting needs a north wind, and right now it's blowing southeast. But you know what? I only have so much time to hunt. Let's go. Yeah. What do you do? You know, seven, eight years ago, I would have went. Yeah. Now, seeing what I've seen, being able I mean, we get to see, we get to go hunting just about every day of the week. Yeah. And doesn't make us better than anybody, but it allows us to see a whole yeah. lot more and experience a whole yeah. lot more that's what i tell people all the time um you know th- th- there's no like and mainly refer i don't think anyone thinks i'm any kind of rare hunting talent but <laughs> but but as far as like the primos crew as a whole they do and i'm like look it's not it's just the fact that we get to go so much that we yeah. get to see a lot and you just I mean, like, like a trial and error like you said you just learn because you're out there that much if you talk to somebody that's been farming their whole life they're going to know a whole lot more about planting corn than I do. Right. Yeah. You talk to somebody about being a doctor, he's going to know a whole lot more than on health issues than I do. Right. It's just what our job is, and we're being able to be out there every day just about and yeah. seeing what's going on. Yeah. Doesn't make us better. We're just no. educated on it. Right. And, and, and I just, you know, I talk on that all the time. I know, I know I've told a lot of people that because I, I have buddies that do it. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, man, I'm going, and I'm like, in the, you know, what's the wind? I don't know. What's <laughs> they're just going hunting, which I, I wouldn't I, have thought about that five or six years ago before a, I started doing it. I'm not downing it. I get it. I absolutely get it. I'm coming at this from a standpoint of wanting to help people be more successful. Mm-hmm. And I think at any point you go into the woods, especially, you know, talking white-tailed deer, I mean, white-tailed deer in the south are about as wily and wary as they come. Mm-hmm. And you can't afford to sit somewhere, you know, where you have, where there's 
where you need a north wind and it's blowing variable out of the south. You know what I'm saying? So Well, what we're saying about us being out in the woods every day learning, the deer are out there every day learning too. Right. So Yeah. It's one of them deals you educate them, they're going to remember it. Yeah. Just like we learn from educating the deer. Yeah. So my main point in bringing that up is, you know, it, you know, if you're dead set on hunting, which, again, I get, if you're dead set that every chance you get you're going to be hunting, then set yourself up and, you know, it doesn't matter if you have, a, you know, 5,000 acres or 40 acres. Yeah. Set it up to where you have options as far as wind goes. Mm-hmm. Hunt out of a, you know, this is better than anybody. Have a climber stand. You get a climber stand, adjust. you can adjust to any kind of wind. But I, I know too many sad stories of, have, have heard of, of folks, you know, because you, this time of year you'll get, you know, if you got your trail cameras running, you'll have pictures of your of your big deer. Oh, yeah, They'll no mostly doubt. mostly probably either be really, really late at night, but they're still in that area. You know, I've over the years running cameras and stuff, you have the most daylight pictures usually that first week of October mm-hmm. because you hadn't been in the woods. Yeah. I learned that. Yeah. And after it, that first week, poof. they say <laughs> somebody been in here. But yeah, that's my whole thought behind it is is just ma- you know, I think you do yourself much more of a favor when you maximize your efforts and maximizing your efforts is paying attention to your wind and you know, Brad and Brad and Troy say this all the time. It's not the quantity of time you spend in the woods, it's the quality. Mm-hmm. And if you're going in there and the conditions suck and it's like I said 97 degrees, you know, you just you may be hurting yourself more than you're helping. That's just if you're trying to cure, kill a mature buck, you know, you can find some spots to go shoot a doe. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the these are these are just you know our two cents opinions. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's fact. It's just stuff <laughs> that I've seen and and found it worked. And you know, there might be other bow hunters out there in the south that hear what we say and go, well, I've seen the opposite. You know, I've had some of the best hunts I've ever had in my life when it's 95 degrees yeah, in I, the first it, week of October. Again, I'm not saying don't go. I'm just saying. But the wind was steady. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, and I'm not saying don't hunt in October. I'm just saying watch your conditions, is, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, you know, but like I said, these are just my suggestions. There used to be a spot I hunted back where I grew up at in the lake. And uh, there was a swamp chestnut tree there and it would be you'd be dripping sweat just everywhere and it'd be 95 degrees first week of october but it was on a swamp chestnut tree right and you can bet your bottom dollar you're gonna kill a buck there if the wind stayed right yeah again but that's what i'm saying you have all those other conditions mm-hmm. against you but if the wind if the wind was good because i know you well enough to know you wouldn't go in there and if the wind wasn't good yeah i mean a lot of times you go and think the wind's good and get up in there and it it's good for five minutes. <laughs> well, that's again. That's another part of October for you. Mm-hmm. There's variable, variable winds. Yeah. The Got best it. thing I could do for to if somebody's asking how to hunt early season bucks was look at the weather. If there's a front coming, you're gonna have consistent winds. Yeah. Or after a front, that day after a front is usually pretty consistent. Yeah. But the day, the two days after a front, it's usually swirling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing you can look for too is you know I mean like it doesn't seem you know if it goes from 90 to 80 or whatever or 70 it doesn't it still seems like it might not be that much of a difference but to the deer it does yeah you i know? mean you think about i'm talking about like a weather front as in a big thunderhead you can see coming across 30 miles away right that's going to stabilize that wind some which way it's going to yeah. be swirling inside that thunderhead but it's going to stabilize enough if you're away from it yeah and it's going to you know cool things down mm-hmm. a touch you know not like 40 but yep. a touch 
enough to make them get up and stir a little bit. Because mm-hmm. again, if I was if I was a deer, and that heat, that humidity, and all those mosquitoes, I would be, I wouldn't be moving. I'd be, I'd, I'd crawl in the river and swim. Yeah, you know? No doubt. <laughs> I've seen deer when I was working at Giles that would lay down in the water yeah. out there in them lakes to yeah. get away from mosquitoes. Bad. That's about as bad as I've ever seen them. Mm. Boys, this week I killed a boon. I killed a couple of Boone and Crockett mosquitoes. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's the size of my my thumbnail. They're huge. Me and Will were driving back from a stand one night. And one hit him in the eyelid, and he thought he done got hit by a hornet or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. We were. <laughs> we. <laughs> there was a. I looked down. Usually, I, you know, I was filming Brad. Usually, you know, I let my camera down, I let my arm down, and then I got to take the base off the tree and put it up. And usually Brad waits until I get to the bottom of the ladder, and then we walk back. Well, I put my base on my backpack, and I was about to climb down, and I looked down, Brad's gone. (laughs) (laughs) I waited later. He was in the because I tried to wait on you. I couldn't stand it. They was everywhere. (laughs) And I I understood. I, I, I I was like, look, I understand. They were bad. God, they were bad. That's it. Brad said, you know mosquitoes are bad when they're bad enough to keep us from wanting to go hunting. Because yep. that's how it was. We were like, the heck with this. But you know, we've been looking at the weather, and probably, when are you going to put this podcast up? As soon as I can. So yeah, probably today or tomorrow. Next week. Yeah. Game on for deer hunting in right. the south. Yeah. Highs in the 70s, lows in the 50s. Yeah. Cool. Like I said, a change like that is enough to get something stirring mm-hmm. big time. No doubt. Big time. Make them start feeling better. So, yeah, we retreated to out west one more time we had one more elk hunt of the year which was really good last year we were yeah. here three days and killed out and yeah. back home yeah not this year not so much you don't ever know man this has been as far as the elk season goes i mean we we had a good season but it's been like colorado we struggled i mean no the good the one slam dunk trip we had was new mexico right and out of possibly killing what six elk we had a chance to kill this year as a team uh, counting no th- eight. No, eight. counting this hunt should have been eight. We've yeah. got three. Yeah, it's been a weird year, you know. I hadn't been elk hunting that long, but yeah, every other year's been pretty dang consistent. Yeah, it, it's um the thing was is where we were in Colorado is a place that we've hunted before, mm-hmm. a place that um I mean I the first year I hunted it worked at Primos I we, we went there mm-hmm. we've been there every year since, and we've always done well. It's an incredible place and an incredible area. It was just seemed to be you remember how the turkeys were last spring that's how it seemed like these elk were it was it was very like really late like really behind it Mm -hmm. was september the 14th and we we glassed into a meadow and there was nine bulls together Hmm. and i mean like together like hey buddy let's hang out like together september 14th they're supposed to be six days away from peak rut they're supposed to be mad at each other they're supposed to be screaming and fighting and you know trying to get cows rounded up they were like buddies good bulls too there were some young ones and then there was four or five of them were mature good shooter bulls Hmm. and they were all together we're like well that's not right yeah something's (laughs) Uh, off here and then uh like the day that we left we stayed and hunted one last morning and that last morning we hunted hunted was the best bugling we heard the entire trip and they still and they still weren't like ripping but Mm -hmm. it was better than anything else it was kind of like i don't know you know how early season turkeys do when they gobble really good in the morning and then you yeah, know, it, kind of it was down. just like that and then we go to new mexico and thank the lord new mexico they were doing right yeah and then we come here to uh west texas and the davis mountains which uh to touch on that briefly like you know a lot of people get 
when you say you're elk hunting in Texas, they get kind of a peculiar look on their face. Yeah, you in a high yeah. fence. I, well, I was the same way too. Well, uh, last year when we did this, and Brad told me we were coming to Texas. I was like, there's elk, there's not elk in Texas, you know, except for <laughs> unless you go hunting a high fence. Apparently, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Right here. Well, in the the Davis Mountain Range, um, th- which again. It's a kind of a cool kind of deal, you know. If like elk were here, much like they were all over the majority of the rest of the country, and they got killed out, but then they got reintroduced, mm-hmm. um, and so these are wild, free-range elk out here. And yeah, they're uh, wild as they come. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, we did really well last year, but we caught it right. They were in that just you know that mm-hmm. really ripping, romping bugle stage, whereas now I feel like we're on the tail end of it which yeah, is no <laughs> doubt we're two weeks late here yeah. which we were here this time last year and they were full yeah. blown stupid yeah it's so it's it's funny you know like colorado it's like we were too early yeah. new mexico we hit it right texas we're too late yeah. we should have left <laughs> yeah. new mexico and came straight here yeah that's the way it seems but i mean you know like it, it again um everyone always assumes that um you know, the primos when they go out to get a slam dunk every time, and you know, yeah, it's not the case. You it's, see I mean, what's on TV, and you would think that, but that's just because that's you know people don't want to see a boring show, right? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's been you know we've been there's there's elk here. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's just you know they're just on the tail end of it. So you know every time we find a bull and we call to him, it's not like he comes running in. You know he may bugle at us, but he's just not. Not in that high intense rut phase like he was. Well, I mean, we've been here four days now, yep. and yep. we've yet to call up a mature bull. Yep. I've laid eyes on, I guess, three. Yeah. The only been. mature bull we called up was the third, no, second morning. Yeah. The one that came up in the thicket and mm-hmm. got to like 50 yards. Oh, yeah. That's the only mature bull we mm-hmm. called in. The rest of them have been very, very young bulls. Kind of like they're in the lockdown stays sort of or either almost over them yeah. old bulls i mean we don't know for certain if the old bulls just hadn't left all the cows yeah they, we re- yeah we don't know because you know we hadn't been here yeah you know uh but it's been it has not been an easy go by any means but you know it, like I said, it happens yeah. it's not not anything to hang your head over it just it happens and brad's did set to go all dad hunting <laughs> <laughs> yeah which that's, we may do. That's the craziest thing about being in Texas elk hunting. There's hogs. There's white-tailed deer. There's mule deer. Mule deer. There's uh, what's them little javelinas? Javelinas. There's freaking critters everywhere. There's they're everywhere. It's a target-rich environment. It for is. Sure. Which the like it's like it's it's a weird balance because I mean, to put it all together, like I said, the the outdad are exotic. Yeah. Hundred percent. They're uh, but like I said, the the elk are treated as exotic, but they're not. You know, it it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Like, is it by law they're exotic animals? Mm-hmm. But like, it's the same way. Like, I don't take uh, take the population of turkeys in like Hawaii or mm-hmm. California. Those were all reintroduced Rio Grande turkeys, yeah. and that, and they're you know recognized as a as a game species, recognized as native. Yeah, that's a weird deal. Um, but yeah, it's um, so yeah, the elk are native. This morning we were listening to an elk bugle in the bottom and a pig squealing up above us. Yeah, it's rich. <laughs> Not too many places in the world that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been, like I said, um, we've still got some time left to to try it here. And, um, again, apologize for taking so long to get this podcast out. We've just been going 100 miles an hour to nothing. But, um, yeah, we're going, we're here for I don't know how many more days. We're going to try to get an elk or two if we can and then take it back to Cottonmouth. Yeah, start next week. We get back on a schedule. Yeah. Deer hunting every day. Yeah. Get back home. <laughs> So, anyhow, for now, guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope we answered some of those food plot questions. Again, 
go to uh, the YouTube channel for Primo's Hunting. If you just go on YouTube, type in Primo's Hunting, it should be the first channel to pop up. It has all kinds of resources, uh, so check that out. But for now, that's going to be all for us. Uh, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.